3: Welcome into the NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve Weich with you. We're going to be joined by some wonderful guests. Judy Batista was at the Browns and Niners game. Cameron Wolf. going to talk about the change in play callers with the Carolina Panthers. Offensive right. coordinator Thomas Brown now the new play caller already, you said. Also, Jeff Chedia joins us every Monday with his first read column. Steve, we had a wild one, and I'm excited to jump into it. Oh, this show is absolutely great. I mean, James, you know,
4: I can't let you slide though, because on Thursday's show, oh, really? we buttoned things up by you telling us, we were talking about our favorite places <laughs> and NFL experiences. Yes. Oh, I love Detroit. Yeah. I met Kim Kardashian there. I remember there. This now. Oh, no. And you were like, oh, wait, wait, wait till mm-hmm. Monday.
3: We're here, brother. What's up? Okay. So we're. We let, I was at that Marriott downtown Detroit that has like all the cars you can look at at yeah. the bottom of it. It's like super enormous. And I, I'm coming back from the facility. I'm going to do the game. I'm at the facility on Friday. I'm going to do the game on Sunday. I have my Subway sandwich, I believe, in my hand. Get to the point. And I'm walking along. Get and then to the there's point. This, yeah, there's this woman in front of me, looks back, and she looks back, and I, and I go, that's. That's Kim Kardashian, like right in front of me. It's her and her kids and they get on, you know, there's like 90 elevators and I just want to get up to my room and have this, you know, subway sandwich. I go to get on the, on the elevator with Kim Kardashian and her family and two gentlemen in front of the elevator, Steve, just kind of slide in front of me and block the elevator off and are like, you're not getting on. And I looked at her, she's looking at me while the doors are shutting and I go, I'm on cable television too. That's what I said to her, but uh, I'm <laughs> I don't sure think I'm, it sure, really that very I'm well sure that registered. I'm sure that
4: registered. JP.
3: No, it didn't. It didn't <laughs> at all. But yeah, that was my interaction with Kim Kardashian Detroit. One of my favorite stops. And so we'll get to the Lions in this one. Well, yeah, um, Steve. Let's talk about these. The the this trend of of this week. We had a remarkable defensive performance across the league. 18.4 points per game per team. If to put that in context, that is the lowest. Average for a single week since week 15, 2014. Now, we haven't played the Monday night game yet, so that number could either go up or down. But as a whole, defenses came out and performed in week six. Was this week six? Yeah, Yeah, week week six. I mean, look, week six? What is this? Week six. God, I have no idea what week it
4: is. And we saw some great defensive performances. I mean, what the Jets did, what the Browns did, what those Detroit Lions did. Mm-hmm. But, James, we cannot excuse offensive ineptitude. And we're going to wait till we get to our E-block for me to really exercise a hammer on the Atlanta Falcons' execution in the fourth quarter because it wasn't just great defense. It was faltering on offense. But speaking of great defenses, nobody may have played a better defensive game than the Cleveland Browns as we enter a segment we're calling Teams That May Have Saved Their Season. We're going full game show on this, J.P., and, you know, when we think about this, <laughs> the Cleveland Browns upset the San Francisco 49ers. Sure, the storyline is that Deshaun Watson was in P.J. Walker and this and that. But to hold a team that has been averaging more than 30 points a game in the San Francisco 49ers to 17 points, James, what about the Browns? We've been talking about their defense all season,
3: but what about that effort that they showed out there in that game? We're talking about defenses saving seasons, Steve. Think about this. They are now 3-2. and two. They did have their bye, remember. The Bengals are at the bottom of the AFC North at 3-3. Three three. This is the only division in football that doesn't have a team with a losing record. This was a monster statement win. As my good buddy Connor Orr used to you know, be work with us at NFL Network. Put it, the statement win of the Deshaun Watson era in Cleveland, and Deshaun Watson didn't even play in it. What a defensive (laughs) performance that this team went out and had. You know that I rave about Jim Schwartz and that he was the best acquisition that any team made this offseason. No team has reached 300 yards against this Cleveland Browns defense. San Francisco held to 215 yards. It was the fewest number of total yards Kyle Shanahan has had with his offense since he became the head coach of the 49ers. I mean, this is a massive statement that this group made up front. And what we saw, Steve, is... Really, Jim Schwartz at his best, right? It's now that he knows he has multiple pass rushers up front. It's not just Miles Garrett. You and I were texting with each other on Sunday going, now there's other guys up there that can make plays. It's Dalvin Tomlinson. It's an Smith. And getting all of these guys after you up front with a secondary that can complement it with three very good corners and a safety in Roddy McLeod that knows this system. He has all the pieces. And they think a lot of those pieces were there last year. They've added a couple more. And now the defensive coordinator has put it all together.
4: And, and, you, and the secondary, I'm glad you mentioned it because, you know, Denzel Ward,
3: Greg Newsome,
4: mm-hmm. um, I'm blanking yep. on who I had to Martin pick. Martin Emerson. Martin Emerson. Emerson has been insane this year. I mean, you, you look at how well the secondary is playing. And oftentimes the rush and the coverage go hand in hand. But Jim Schwartz is telling his DBs, you play man to man. Okay, this is this is what you do now. The Niners, they lost Christian McCaffrey, they lost Debo Samuel to injury. But again, I, I, it happens. But they didn't have their quarterback, Deshaun Watson. P.J. Walker started, and here's the whole thing. For as great of a game as the Browns' defense played, the Niners still should have won had they mm-hmm. made some field goals. We're going to discuss that a little bit later <laughs> with Judy Batista. And you also mentioned the Cincinnati Bengals. This is a team. That absolutely saved their season. Let's listen to their quarterback, Joe Burrow.
0: Yeah, there were definitely points, like I said, opportunities that we had we didn't capitalize on. Uh, but we got the win. It's a lot easier to, to fix things when you're 3 and 3 than if you had lost this one. So, uh, never going to apologize for a win.
4: JP, we know a week ago, Joey Burrow, before the play to Arizona, said that was a must win. To me, this was the must win. They were playing a good Seahawks team. I mean, this was a good game. Um, And had they lost this game, they would have been 2-4 and going into the bye, and they've got to have one of the most difficult schedules coming out of that bye of any team left in the NFL. So getting a win like this by Lou Anarumo and the way that defense dialed it up, they've really kept Seattle at bay. They got two picks of Geno Smith. That was the difference in the ball game. So we're seeing some defenses come together. And, James, you know, one of your big question marks, you pointed out several times about this Bengals defense – was two new safeties coming in, communication, figuring that out. Mm -hmm. From watching this game, didn't you think this whole 11, the whole unit looked more glued in than they had all season?
3: They certainly did, Steve. We were always curious about the secondary, I think. Uh, Cam Taylor-Britt had a great game, physical corner that was following D.K. Metcalf all over the field, and, and you knew, you just knew, as we said things were going to come around for Joe Burrow's calf, you also kind of knew how good of a coach Lou Anarimo is, and that he was going to finally start piecing this together with his group, right? And I think what we saw, and it's been the case, and I've covered games, I remember one specifically against the Chiefs a few years ago, where they get teams get down inside the goal-to-go distance, and they just can't score against this Lou Anarimo defense, Steve. They're just so good. When teams get down in the in the short yardage goal-to-go situation, I believe where they were one for five Seattle in the red zone. Right. And so they have this bend but don't break. And that's the point you're making, right? This effort that this team has, way they play up front with guys like DJ Reader and, and Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. They got after Geno Smith at the end of this game. And they made big plays. The guys who were getting paid up front made big plays when they needed to at the end of this game. I think this was a huge step, not just for Joe Burrow in another game where he looks healthier. Huge step for this defense, as you mentioned, after that bye. Niners, Bills, Texans, Ravens, Steelers, Jags after that.
4: Yeah, not 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 very nice at all. And, JP, another team that saved their season. This was a team where, oh, let's say four plays into week one, we had them on C. CPR, is that it? CPR, mm-hmm. yeah, CPR. The right. I mean, that's New York Jets. Yeah. I mean, CPR. they just. Yep. They, you know, they came out. They won against Denver. Now they won two straight. We have some more information. Let's hear from the Jets.
0: Thought defense, uh, per the usual, uh, outstanding. Um, you know, through these first six weeks, we've played a gauntlet of quarterbacks, and. Um, I know we haven't gotten all wins, but we've embarrassed all of them, and uh, just really, really proud of, of the defense and its resolve.
4: We've embarrassed all of Whoa. them, and, and I you love know it. what? He did. Jalen Hurts did not look good at all yesterday. I know there have been some questions coming into the season, but the way that the Jets' defensive front—and we know that is the strength of their team—they handled things mm-hmm. against the Eagles' offensive line, and once they did, James. Hurts didn't look comfortable. They tried to play a little bit more horizontal stuff moving him. It didn't look like the functionality of their offense was anywhere in sync. But I'm putting that all on the Jets and their takeaways. The fact that they are snatching Mm -hmm. the ball away from teams. Look at the number of takeaways. There are three takeaways or more in all of their three wins. James, I think we know how the New York Jets are going to get victories this year by that group. That group in the dark green mm-hmm. jerseys. Yeah.
3: That's, <laughs> this was a who's lot of green it. in this in this game. Yes. Yeah, it was it was a lot of green in this game and the fields green. I was kind of, you know, it was tough on the eyes a little bit, but you're right, Steve. You look at what they did to Josh Allen, three picks. Patrick Mahomes, two picks, Jalen Hurts, you mentioned it, three picks. I'll say Dak Prescott actually did play pretty well against them. But this defense, they got so much juice. And being in that locker room a week ago in Denver, I could you could actually just feel it in the room, this kind of hope, this positivity in kind of where they're at right now. And I'm curious. I didn't want to make this about him, but I'm going to bring him up, Steve. Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. No boot, no crutches, throwing the football. Does that play a part at all in this group, on this defense going, he's over there? What what if we just got us into a good position by the end of the season? What if he could return? I wonder if that, honestly, plays a put at all. And kind of the positivity that is around this group of late over the last couple of weeks. I, I mean, that's a I, good point. I, I don't know. Am I, am I reaching?
4: Yeah, I mean, you're reaching. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But yeah, I think so. I mean, who knows <laughs> Like how, how some of these veteran <laughs> players. No, but I mean, like C.J. Mosley might be like, if we can get there, maybe, maybe this guy can mm-hmm. get us over the top. I mean, because, look, the, the defense is going to have to get them there. We've seen it, and it's absolutely worked. So, you know, who knows? Whatever they're doing, maybe they had, you know, like our sparring partners a lot of of times on the speed bag or the heavy bag, they'll put their face (laughs) of an opponent up there. Maybe Sean Payton's face was still on there, and they still had a little bit more to get out of their system from the week before, um, from what he said. So, it is what it is. But, JP speaking of defense, here's a team we tend not to talk about their defense that much. We better. The Detroit Lions held the Tampa Bay Bucks, who are winning the NFC South. To no touchdowns and getting their victory and to approve mm-hmm. to 5 and 1 0, oh, which ties the record as the best teams in the NFL. What about, and you've been talking about Aaron hmm. Glenn, the DC, and the way this defense was horrible last year, but over the past eight games, final oh, eight games of 2022, brutal. and this year, the way that group is playing absolute complementary football at the highest level to that high functioning offense.
3: Yeah, the Bucks only crossed midfield three times, Steve, Ooh. in the entire game. I mean, this defense is playing really well, and you're right. I mean, you use the word you want to use for the first half of the season last year, right? They were a joke. They were a laughing stock. They were just one of the worst defenses in football. And you look at where they're at now, and they are playing phenomenal. And what stands out to me is before the season started, you know who was playing great on that back end? Kind of epitomized the identity of Dan Campbell. Chauncey Gardner Johnson yeah. back there. And that was like a big pickup for them in terms of the the identity and the way that defense kind of felt about himself. And then they lose him, but they haven't missed a beat. I, I mean, they've hit on draft picks. Aiden Hutchinson has been a monster up front. But to me, what also stands out, and not just the defense, but real quick, We saw Jamison Williams for the first time, and he catches a 45-yard touchdown pass. And I just don't want to say that this is why Amon Ross St. Brown had 12 catches, (laughs) a career high. But now this offense has the ability to beat you on a variety of levels. I can picture Jamison Williams just opening things up for a great receiver like Amon Ross St. Brown to have just more room to operate. I'm excited to see where this other side of the ball continues to go as well. It's scary. They got weapons. They're banged up, but they got weapons. It's scary because, you know, that's going to work.
4: One week, you know, you're going to see Amon Ross St. Brown take the coverage. Other side, Jameson. It it is going to be, and then again, Laporta, Mm -hmm. um, the tight end, who is Nick. Who's playing great for a rookie I mean, this could be, I mean, this offense is already frightening. And now getting it back, and I think they only scored 20 points, Was tied a season low, but they're one of the higher scoring teams on Sunday. But to add Jamison Williams and to get him into the fold now with the way this defense is playing, huge. I think we're going to continue having conversations about the Lions being one of the best teams in the NFL teams.
3: I love it. I love it. This is kind of a Lions show a little bit. We've kind of pumped them up a little bit, and I love it. All my boys that I have from Detroit, they're ecstatic right now, and they're rolling. They're absolutely rolling. You know who's not rolling, though, Steve? The two undefeated teams that are now tied with the Lions with the best record in the NFL. They both went down. Is there room for concern with the Niners and the Eagles or not? Judy Batista was at that game right there. We break it down on the NFL Report coming up next.
5: To
3: give the Niners the lead, snap is down. The kick is up. The kick is no good. It's no good,
0: and the Browns will beat the 49ers 19 to 17. He pushed it wide to the right. It's always tough to miss that last kick, but that happens in football. You know, we they played better than us today, and. Um, you know, that was the last play, but there was a lot more today than just that. I thought we made way too many mistakes on offense, you know, just losing a couple guys in the game. We had to switch a couple guys around, and um, we weren't quite ready for that, um, which starts with me with too many mistakes. Like, it's the NFL. You you get opportunities. Um, You
3: got to take advantage of them, and so there was definitely some throws and opportunities that I feel like that were there for me, and um, I missed on them, and that, you know, made us be behind the sticks, and then you have to Get a third down, which is tough on the road here, man, and um, that's something that I gotta learn from, man. So um, definitely gonna be real about it, and we got we all gotta you know look ourselves in the mirror and, and see the flaws and stuff, and, and uh, get better from it. But it starts with me.
4: All right, that lengthy lead-in started with our own Andrew Siciliano on the Cleveland Browns radio call, pushing it wide right. Then you heard Kyle Shanahan. And Brock Purdy, the head coach of the 49ers, and their quarterback. and JP, now we're joined by Judy Batista. And, Judy, before we spend a lot of time on the 49ers, you were at this game. Just kind of what was this game like for the Cleveland Browns? James and I opened up the A-block, calling it a defensive just virtuoso. Yeah, it
1: was a masterpiece. Actually, the word the Niners kept using to describe this game was grimy. And and I think that's a really appropriate word because it was like a rock fight, right? I mean, it was not pretty. um, Neither offense was getting the ball moving very much. But the defense, I mean, the Browns defense was just tremendous and, um, you know, had, had Brock Purdy on the run and under duress really the entire game um and and they just could not get any rhythm going brock purdy said after the game he kept thinking at any moment okay we're gonna get it going we're gonna get it going and that was their mindset it just didn't happen certainly the injuries to McCaffrey and and depot played a very big part in that because that first drive that first drive the niners had was like clockwork right they were running big chunks of yardage It was perfect and you're thinking i mean i was sitting in the press box thinking this game is going to be 50 to nothing i mean this is a disaster i could start writing it right now and then slowly you could see the browns defense just taking over and they were getting the niners behind the chains um at long second Mm -hmm. second and long third and long they could not convert and then of course that allows jim schwartz to do what jim schwartz loves to do and that is unleash a pass rush and you know this is the game you you were waiting for brock purdy to have all along we were wondering is he ever going to have a game where he looks sort of discombobulated and can't recover and the reality of the situation is um it it was inevitable a game like this was going to happen and it in part happened because his usual safety net christian mccaffrey Debo samuel were both gone at the same time um, and they just couldn't get anything going. And still, having said that, and this is a testament to how very good the San Francisco 49ers are and how hard they're going to be to knock out this season, still they should have won the game.
3: Yeah. Yeah. They, they should have won the game. You miss a 41-yard field goal that you most likely should make. Brock Purdy still got them. You could say in the field goal range, yes. and everybody would be saying, Judy, that, well, Brock Purdy did his job at the end of the game, even though they struggled, and he put them out there. So we have the Niners go down, we're undefeated. The Eagles go down, they were undefeated. So I want to play a little game real quick about concerned or not concerned. I heard you kind of break down the Niners side of things. So, Judy, I wanted to know, are you concerned at all about the 49ers? And then, Steve, follow up.
1: I am not concerned about the 49ers. I, I would, let me rephrase this. I, I would be concerned about the injuries, right? I, but we saw I saw McCaffrey and Debo both were in the locker room after the game and did not appear to be in any kind of distress. Um, actually, Trent Williams had a boot on his right foot, so he looked to be in worse shape than either of those two, when he came back and played the game, but he's, like, remarkably tough and has a ridiculous pain threshold. Um, so the injuries, which always seems to be an issue for the 49ers coming down the stretch, that concerns me, but nothing else about yesterday concerns me. It was sort of the perfect storm of things. The conditions were bad. They had the injuries. They made a lot of mistakes. I thought Kyle just said something really profound in the locker room, and he said, you know, you can think about that 5-0 and o record and think you're perfect all the time, and it, he said, sometimes it's better to make mistakes. You learn more from mistakes than you do from success, so, like, basically, sometimes it's better to have a reality check, and obviously, it's much better to have a reality check in week six than, you know, week 17, for example.
4: Yeah, I mean, this game, and I think what happened throughout the league this weekend goes to show you how hard it is to play at a high level every week In the NFL, and no team Mm -hmm. had been breezing along. I won't say breezing along, but playing at such a high level in the 49ers. But, Judy, I do want to ask you this, because we saw the duress that Brock Purdy was under. I mean, you saw a look on his face sometimes that you hadn't seen. It was like, oh, man, they've kind of figured us out. They know what we're trying to do here. You know, with all this talk about Brock Purdy, and James and I have led the fan club for him to be in the MVP conversation, Oh yeah. someone's going to say, probably a lot of people are going to say, see, he's not good enough to elevate his guys is that fair when you're when you're down a couple stars
3: uh no we're gonna I put an asterisk on it Judy. we uh, were uh, gonna yeah, do that uh, week one for Patrick Mahomes oh uh, you couldn't we're gonna resist. do that week one <laughs> no. for Patrick you Mahomes no Travis resist. Kelsey let's put an asterisk <laughs> on the game I don't he loses all, Debo and Christian McCaffrey
1: I, I want to be clear. I am not putting Brock Purdy in the same conversation with Patrick Mahomes quite yet. Let's just start there. But no, oh, we have. Uh, I might. Be I, just I know you have. <laughs> but he, he should be uh, he, certainly before this game. He should have been an MVP candidate. I think it's easy to sort of look at this game and say, well, you know, he was the last pick on the draft, so this was inevitable. We're going to have a game like this again. Uh, there were a whole lot of things going on um, in this game. Uh, the conditions were very bad. You saw the ball slip out of his hands. They had a lot of mistakes. There were Uh drops, there were penalties. There was a lot going on. It was not all on Brock Purdy. Did he recover? Well, no, but you heard Kyle Shanahan in that clip we just played played, say it. Um, None of them adjusted very well. Like he did not think they had the guys ready who needed to adjust when the guys went out that, that were injured. And that's something they have to work on. And I think that's sort of what's good about losing in week six. If you are a team of this caliber is it showed you what you got to work on. They've still got stuff to work on. They got to be on their P's and Q's. Um, And now they will uh, address those things. And big picture, I am not concerned about the 49ers.
3: Not concerned. I'm not concerned. You know why, Judy? Because Kyle Shanahan just is not going to play Jim Schwartz every week. All time, Kyle Shanahan (laughs) is one and eight against Jim Schwartz. He there won as is. an offensive coordinator in 2008 in the Houston Texans. So he's not going to face Schwartzy every single week. Alright, Judy. Concerned or not concerned about the Philadelphia Eagles loss to the Jets where they, I think, nine or ten times tried to hand the game to uh, Robert Sala's team. Yeah. <laughs>
1: There were some issues in the game that I was like, "What are we doing here?" Like when you're when you're driving yeah. to try to put the jets away, to try to score a touchdown. I'm like, "How about we just run the ball oh, and run the clock?" Gosh. Like I know that's old-fashioned. I or and pumped it and pin an offense way back that, that yep. struggles to move the ball. Right. So okay, but so I didn't love the game management there. But um, big picture, am I concerned about the Eagles? No, we've been saying this uh, the these few weeks here of the season is, right, they're not quite clicking, they're not quite in the groove. While the offense was clearly not in the groove. I mean, Jalen Hurts did not play well. Each interception he threw was worse than the one before. Um, but again, I, I the, you gotta give some credit to the Jets. The Jets have a really, really good defense. Um, and you, you gotta give it to them. They befuddled the Eagles, but you're not playing a defense like that every week. Um, And the Eagles had one game like this. And again, I think just like if you're a team like the Eagles, just like the 49ers of this caliber with this kind of roster, you look at a game like this and say, all right, what did it show us that we need to work on? And we're going to address those things because this can't happen again. And it certainly can't happen in January. But did you come out of that game thinking they're still not one of the two or three best teams in the NFC? Maybe one of the two or three best teams in the entire NFL? No. I mean, I still think they're one of the – top five teams in the entire
4: league. So, no, not worried. Only yeah, one, week six. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, they're still not clicking, but they're still better than most teams, Judy. And, and you know, again, I, I, I just give so much credit to what the Jets did. Um, I, I just can't even look at the Eagles like, okay, this and that. Let, let's not forget, I mean, Lane Johnson, James, went out for the Eagles, yeah. and that's, that's really when things seemed to turn when their right tackle was down. Mm-hmm.
3: That that changed everything. You saw uh, Jalen Hurts play differently once Lane Johnson went down. He just kept trying to leave the pocket as quickly as he could and try to get out there in some space and make some plays. And and, and, uh, that's the trust that he has in Lane. We'll see how long he's out. But that is my little concern. If they're not 100% up front, Guys, I think that could be a concern in a sense. But there's not a lot of concern when there were bad drops by Devontae Smith and a drop by Dallas Goddard. Just weird picks. It was execution. It wasn't bad play calling. They should have put the Jets away. Uh, But this is one they're going to look back on and go, I can't believe we ended up losing that game. The one concern I do have also is uh, they finished this game with only one starter of their secondary still on the field. That's how many injuries they have had to the safety position and the corner position was just James Bradbury. The only one back there that was still uh, a regular starter. This, this is the time playing. of the season where you start worried of,
1: where you start worrying about the injuries piling up. That's that's my exactly. takeaway from these yep. losses. Saw around
3: the league. And we're approaching and we're approaching the trade deadline. I wonder if Howie Roseman is ever active at any other point yeah. other than the start of the year. He usually sits on his hands. This roster. Usually always he is. Judy, wonderful to have you as always. Nice seeing you. Glad you're back uh, Great to see you guys. In New York, no longer in Cleveland. Coming up, we have Cameron Wolf joining us with an inside look. We're going to break this down. A new play caller already for number one overall pick, Bryce Young. It's offensive coordinator, Timus Brown. We're going to break this down from every angle on the NFL court with Cameron Wolf coming up.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better.
3: Welcome back to the NFL Report, James Palmer, Steve Weich with you, and that handsome man right over there is Cameron Wolf. And Cam, we brought you on. We were already having you. And then the news breaks about Thomas Brown now taking over play calling for the Carolina Panthers. I want you to hear this. On September 14th, right near the beginning of the season, I think we're in week two, we had Thomas Brown on the show. And we asked him his play calling philosophy. Cam, listen to this. And, Thomas, we saw in preseason, second
4: half of games, you were calling the plays. Frank Reich has said at some point you guys are going to make the transition whenever that is this season, next season, whatever. You're going to be the play caller. How do you guys work with that? How has Frank work with you? I mean, you coach under Sean McVay and maybe teaching you some of the things and taking your input on some things so you guys can forge when that transition takes place.
6: Well, one, I've always been a sponge. So have an opportunity to, like you mentioned before, be in an environment with so many great minds around us. But the kind of one-on-one time with Frank every single day, we kind of put together our game plan to talk about certain ideas. Obviously, leaning on guys like Coach Caldwell as well, who can kind of add, obviously add advice from his best experience uh, from a behind the standpoint. But I think it's about the, the daily collaboration and me understanding more about him and kind of vice versa, in combination with putting our players in, our players in the best spot to have success All right, week in and week out.
3: I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by play callers. I love when guys say there's they're so much in the zone, they're not even looking at the sheet, right? They're just they're just calling it. But everybody kind of has a different description of it, right? Some guys say it's a science. Some guys say it's right. an art. Some guys say it's a feel. H- how would you describe play calling?
6: I think the biggest part of it is about preparation. You know, so obviously being able to have a fill-on game day is important. Being able to adapt and adjust depending on what the opponent is giving you is going to be a big part of you having success on game day. But it's about what are you doing uh, throughout the week, Right, putting the game, play, putting the game uh, on the, from a game plan standpoint, how you bring it to life, and more importantly, how you explain those details to your players. Because ultimately, it all, all boils down to not how smart you claim to be or want to be as a play caller, but how smart are your players. What those guys can active, activate on game day.
3: All right, Cam. I think you did have a little uh, inkling, is that the word, that this change was maybe <laughs> happening and they're heading into a buy? It does kind of add up a little bit. What do you got for us?
2: Yeah, James, definitely. I talked, I was actually at this game this weekend, uh, this past Sunday, and I talked to a key Panthers figure and I asked him the question, when is the move to Thomas Brown happening? And he said, watch this Dolphins game, depending on how it goes, it could be imminent. Now, imminent ended up being less than 24 hours later, as our insiders reported earlier, (laughs) but this move was, this move was coming. They, they obviously have struggled out the gate. They're 0 six, Bryce Young has not played uh, to the level that he's capable of, or that they want him to, um, and they love Thomas Brown's potential as a play caller. He called plays in the second half of every preseason game. And like he's done in every step of the way, he's blown Frank Reich away with that ability. So it allows Frank Reich to take a step back and really allows Thomas Brown to, to push Bryce Young. And I want to tell you a little bit about this because Bryce Young is going to be a great player in this league. But he has to be coached. And there's some elements of him that they want him, him to be more urgent, to play faster. He's got that California cool vibe about him. Thomas Brown's going to push him. Thomas Brown's going to get him to be the quarterback they want him to be and to fix some of the issues they have with this offense. And so he's going to get a couple weeks to plan with this bye week, but expect a different level of intensity, a different level of speed when Thomas Brown's out there leading this offense call and calling plays uh, when they come out of the bye.
4: So, Cam, you said something that I found very interesting. You know, when you were speaking to someone saying, hey, depending on how the Miami game falls out, a change is imminent. I have covered sports for more than 30 years of my life: NBA, major college football, NFL. Don't date yourself. Steve. I have never had a head coach say, "Man, if I call a bad game, I am going to I'm going to strip myself of my duties." And when I hear the word "imminent," that tends to come from somebody high above. So let's go ahead and walk through a timeline of this. Last week, Frank Wright comes out and okay. talks about head coach David Tepper and the relationship, are the owner David Tepper and basically saying. Yeah, he's involved. Like he has his hands all in the Kool Aid. And then Sunday morning, our own Ian Rappaport reports how, hey, there's a watch on Frank Reich and how the offense goes and how Bryce Young develops could determine some things. So to me, imminent sounds like owner David Tepper, even though Frank Reich said this was 100% his decision, that he had something to do with this change because everything we continue to be hurt, you know, to hear, it seems like David Tepper. He's got an itchy trigger finger. Did Tepper have anything Hmm. to do with this decision? Because it sure as hell sounds like he did.
2: Steve, the Panthers are saying that it was Frank Reich's decision. He said today, 100% my decision. But I'll tell you what, David Tepper and Nicole Tepper have been around every step of the way from the draft, from the pre-draft process. I saw them walking the sidelines on the game yesterday, walking right next to Scott Fitterer and Dan Morgan, their whole front office. And so they were definitely involved in it. Now, what percentage of it was Frank Reich versus the pushing ownership? That might be something only they know, but you can't tell me that Tepper wasn't involved in this at all. He has made clear he wants to see Bryce Young be the quarterback they traded up to get. And he has not got that so far. And so Frank Wright, there was a feel that they had to make some sort of change. I knew that the Thomas Brown to play caller move was going to happen. The only uncertainty was the timing. The timing might be what we're talking about here. And that maybe that's where ownership came into play and had a, a heavier hand in.
3: When things aren't going well, what happens, right? Changes happen. You try to yep. find ways to correct what's been going on. And we already saw them and those changes, guys, prior to this move and this change in terms of play callers, right? What did they do? They kind of simplified things. Frank Wright made a big point about saying when things aren't going well, you don't add more, right? You take stuff away Mm -hmm. and you make it simpler. They took stuff off of Bryce Young's plate pre-snap, and that's no slight to Bryce Young and the processor he is and the mental ability he has at the quarterback spot. That's what everybody raves about. It's almost like there was so much put on him early because he could handle it going, okay, he can handle all of this, but it's still a lot for a young quarterback. So it took away some of the verbiage, took away some of the pre-snap responsibilities, and they we've seen actually, don't you think, Cam, a better quarterback over maybe the Absolutely. last two weeks than we did in the beginning of the season, in a sense, from Bryce Young. But where my mind goes with this entire thing is, all right, now we've made these changes. Then we made more Mm -hmm. changes. Then we had a conversation Mm -hmm. with the owner, and now we're changing play calling. This is still a very young quarterback that now is going through another change. When we all talk about continuity with young quarterbacks, do you think Bryce Young takes a step back in any sense because now you're changing everything for him once again heading into this bye week?
2: I think Thomas Brown will be a net positive for Bryce because what we've seen is them being one of the bottom offenses in the league. I'll tell you what, at that game, he had two of the best drives I've seen him play uh, in his career. Leading those touchdowns in the first quarter against the Dolphins, and they were key things to watch. There, they were moving up tempo. He didn't have a lot of responsibilities pre-snap, and he was using the the wristband. And I think the wristband's key because I heard about this this past week. Bryce Young was very hesitant early in the season to use the wristband. He wanted to be able to spit out all the play calls himself. You want to show that you're the smart processing quarterback like he is. And they were slow. They had a lot of penalties. They were processing slow. The reality is Tom Brady used Mm -hmm. a wristband. You've got to be able to adjust to what your scheme and flow of it is. I think you'll see more urgency um, from the offense and also a little bit more pressure on Bryce Young to to be and be within the offense. One other thing to note that I think you'll see uh, adjustment-wise, this was one of the lowest motion teams in the NFL this past year. They were in the bottom eight. They're mixing a couple offenses with Frank Reich and the Rams. The Rams traditionally have been a high motion team. They've been in the top 10 motion the last few years. They've been effective at it. I think when Thomas Brown's taking over as play caller, you'll see a little bit more motion. And maybe you see a little bit more effectiveness in the processing, the anticipation that Bryce Young really excels in. And so I do think it may take a little time to adjust for Bryce, but ideally... He gets to do more of what he excelled in in Alabama under Thomas Brown and more of a new-age offense than what they were running over the first six weeks.
4: Here, hey JP, here, Here's what I anticipate out of Thomas Brown. What position did he play in college?
2: Running,
4: running back. back. What position did he play in the NFL? Running back. What position has he running coached back. in the NFL mainly? Running back. They're going to running run back. the ball more. Bryce Young is throwing the damn ball 37 times a game. Yep. That's like yep. that's Patrick Mahomes range. This is now granted, they're they're playing from behind. He's got to throw it some. They bail on the on the run too quickly. So Thomas Brown's gonna say, hey, halftime like Dolphins game yesterday, twenty-one to fourteen. We can still run the ball. He is going to find a way to set up blocking schemes. He wasn't just a running back coach. He was a tight ends coach. He knows how to organize things. He was a run game coordinator. So I think you're gonna see them run the ball a lot more, maybe not a lot more, but they're gonna run it more to help out bryce young all this stuff about you know dumbing down the verbiage and all that how about this uh we're gonna hand it off right we're gonna hand it out left
3: go to the line of scrimmage and play football (laughs) right steve i think sometimes that's just (laughs) what's always talked about a little bit maybe he was great at it and do that he was great at alabama right he was (laughs) he was he was what i'm curious guys about is after this bye week and we've had, we're talking about change. They are going to host the Texans and the Colts before Uh-oh. they hit the road Uh-oh. to face the Chicago Bears. There. Those there. are three very winnable games. Cam, yep, very, absolutely. very quickly, maybe 15, 20 seconds. Tell me this. Mm-hmm. If they lose those games, what is David Tepper
5: do?
2: <laughs> against yeah, what quarterback is yeah, for the Texans? Who, who's the quarterback for the Texans? C.J. Stroud. Absolutely. And that's a part C.J. Stroud. This. Steve, right? C.J. Stroud's been amazing. Amazing with questionable mm-hmm. supporting cast going into the season, the offensive side of the ball, and so owners are comparison yep. people. We took Bryce Young. Why is C.J. Stroud looking like this, and our guy's not looking like this? And so this is an important period of time. This next month, and that's why I think the, the change was made now—a very key time to see Bryce Young look like he is supposed to look. And briefly, before I go, I think there was one more interesting thing that I saw as we walked out. Bryce Young got an embrace from Tua as he's leaving the field and I think it's important to show that embrace because Tua dealt with a lot of struggles over the first two years of his career and he told me when I asked him he essentially shared with Bryce Young what he would want somebody to tell him as a rookie to block out the media, the naysayers grow through your struggles and run your own race. Tua lived that and came through it better. Bryce has never failed Really, at anything throughout his career, and so it's a chest of adversity for him, and how he takes this challenge. I love that Tua did that, and I'm eager to see how Bryce responds to the challenge of what he essentially is being told he wasn't good enough over the first six weeks of his NFL career.
3: Love it, Cam! Brilliant. This was great stuff, man. Good this stuff, absolutely Cam. Great stuff, guys. Awesome I'm stuff, curious. Bro. I didn't want to say this, but this might be the most disastrous organization in the <laughs> NFL at, right at the now, moment. at where the things moment. stand at this point. In the NFL, it is wild down there in Carolina. We'll have to keep an eye on it. The guy was picked right after Bryce Young, well, that was C.J. Stroud who was just mentioning. And we're going to talk about Stroud and the Houston Texans and much, much more with Jeff Shadia joining the show with his first read column. It happens every Monday. And we're talking C.J. Stroud, OH, on the NFL Report.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. FLAG
4: FOOTBALL IS COMING TO THE OLYMPICS. FLAG FOOTBALL WILL DEBUT AS AN yeah. OLYMPIC SPORT WHEN THE GAMES COME TO LOS ANGELES IN 2028. THE HISTORIC DECISION PAVES THE WAY FOR FLAG FOOTBALL AND USA FOOTBALL'S U.S. NATIONAL TEAMS TO MAKE THEIR Olympic DEBUT ON HOME SOIL. FOR MORE INFORMATION ABOUT USA FOOTBALL'S U.S. NATIONAL TEAMS, VISIT USAFOOTBALL.COM SLASH PROGRAMS NATIONAL HYPHEN TEAM. GOT ALL THAT? Because now we're getting back to the NFL report. We're fired up about flag football because that is the emerging sport. Yeah. But for tackle football, let's bring in Jeff Chadia. It is Jeff's first read segment, JP. And there is a lot of good stuff in Jeff's column at NFL.com slash first read. How about all those slashes, guys? I, I did a damn good job reading about no, all those
3: things, right? You're cut. is that a position in flag football slash like you could play multiple spots out there Steve I wish I knew this was happening right over here in the closet I got a couple of Ohio State shirts that say flag football champions baby from uh, intramural champions I never really thought you know I was ahead of my time I could have been been an Olympian I think I, was like, I think I was like level four or like level five. I <laughs> think we weren't even in the top <laughs> league. Uh, Jeff, I, you know, speaking of Ohio State, let's talk about these Houston Texans um, and what you've seen. You wrote about teams that are better than their record is, and this team was in kind of that group. What have you seen from the Houston Texans that makes you impressed now that they're heading into their bye at 3-3? Three and three?
5: Well, you look at their wins. They're 3-3. Three and three. And those three wins came against Pittsburgh. They came against Jacksonville and they came against New Orleans. They blew out two of those teams, which tells me that they're really, Mm -hmm. really a serious team. Mm -hmm. Not just a fluke, not just a team that got lucky against some some lesser squads, but a team that can play with legitimate, well-coached squads. But then you also look at the fact that when, look, I'm guilty of this. When this team started playing this year, I thought three coaches in three years, rookie quarterback, it's going to take some time. C.J. Stroud proved me wrong. But the balance they have on this on this team going into that New Orleans game. They were mm-hmm. 11th in the league in scoring offense, 11th in the league in scoring defense. This team talked about all offseason, about building a team around whomever they drafted at quarterback and you're seeing it play out now. I'm really impressed by what they've done. You look at the AFC South one game behind Jacksonville. They feel a
4: lot like Jacksonville felt last season. Yeah, but Jeff one thing you know if you could because I think one of our big questions with the Texans was well two organizationally, as you mentioned, they have been a train wreck and now you have a bunch of first-year coaches and coordinators. What about the fact that D'Amico Ryans could assemble a staff of first-year guys that could have this type of impact right away when there was constant chaos in Houston for two respective seasons? Well, it speaks to
5: what he learned with the 49ers, being around Kyle Shanahan and that outfit. And you look at the success Mike McDaniels had in Miami as well. Uh, these guys are very good with the organization. They're players, coaches. Uh, I, I love this new age of coaches coming into this league, younger guys who have a better feel for how to deal with the media, how to connect with the younger players. And I think you're seeing that happen here. You know, I think D'Amico Rice has great credibility, obviously, as a former player and a player for the Texans, but he also understands that organization and the politics, and he's okay with everything there. And so I, I think that he's done a tremendous job and should be with Robert Sala, Uh, talked about as a coach of the year candidate now.
3: I I totally agree. And I think that's what I've been told repeatedly. Robert Sala should be in the mix. I totally think he should be in the mix. (laughs) I, I, I love, I mean, Everybody, you could ask casual fans that are not fans of, you know, the Houston Texans say, who is the offensive coordinator of the Houston Texans? I don't know how many of them would tell you it's Bobby Slowick. Like, it's it's a name that many people didn't know. D'Amico Ryans knew him well, and this offense is playing pretty well, Jeff. And that's why I want to kind of hit you on that side of the ball, because this stat jumped out at me and I thought it was bonkers. It says, CJ Stroud was sacked for the first time since week two. In this game this past sunday that's 117 consecutive pass plays without a sack and it wasn't like his offensive line has been intact and all of the starters have been there and the run game has been dominant it hasn't they were going to rely on that as well so what has he done because so much of this is right The, 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 the head coach and the foundation that you build when you want to flip a culture but when you have a quarterback that's young that's part of that new culture playing the way CJ Stroud is, it's a lot easier to buy in as well. Yeah, well, he's come in and he hasn't had to do too much. And a lot like what
5: Brock Purdy did in San Francisco, granted he has way more weapons and way more experience in the offensive coaching area with Kyle Shanahan there, but he came in and he trusted his skill set and he trusted what was in front of him. I, I agree with you. The uh the offensive line for the Texans has been an underrated story here and we kind of joked in the first couple weeks of the season when they were, you know, getting beaten up and not running the football very effectively, and a lot of guys were hurt mm-hmm. that, where is this leading? But now you realize they have some really good depth, and when Laramie Tunsell's, Tunsell's healthy, George Fant is healthy, when they have those guys on the on the bookends, they're available. They're a pretty good offensive line. And so, you know, I, I, again, I didn't see it coming, but a lot of times when you're no. building with the offensive line and, and, and up front, you, you don't recognize that stuff until you're, these kind of
4: stats get thrown out. That's right. Titus Howard is also back. You know, they're, they're start, starting offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go to the West Coast because a team that we, a lot of folks thought was going to be terrible, the Los Angeles Rams, <laughs> they've been in every Included. game. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there, yeah. 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 I thought they were going to be better because just because Stafford was going to throw the ball to the Cooper Cup all the time, but I didn't realize Cooper Cup was going to be out, and Puka Nakua was going to slip right in. But to me, Jeff, watching the Rams, the job Raheem Morris has done with a defense where you have one recognizable player, That's one of the best coaching jobs that we've seen in the NFL all season.
5: Yeah, yeah, quietly. They've been up there statistically as well. You look at what they've done on defense and on offense, and I agree. You know, look, Raheem Morris, we know, is a very underrated coach in the NFL, and I don't know why he hasn't gotten a second shot at being a head coach, but they've Mm -hmm. been very sound in what they've done, and really, they've only had a couple losses there where you say, man, things have broken right. Like that Niners game, a seven-point loss. That that Bengals game, a three-point loss. He's kept them close some teams that have a lot of firepower and it speaks to what he's done there. But I, I, I'll, I'll say McVay, Sean McVay is in that same category. I thought he was great when he had all the stars, but you look at what he's done with the Puka Nakua's and the Kyron Williams and making that work, watching them play last week. We were there, Steve, against Philadelphia and that was a tight game for a long time. And I thought, man, this is how is this happening? And it speaks to what, they, what they're doing with that coaching staff.
4: Hey, real, real quick, JP, and you mentioned it. I think it's been brilliant. They're, they're, real quick, their Go upcoming ahead. run of games, Jeff, They've got oh, yeah. five very winnable games right now. They, we, I think we very well could be talking about the Rams being a playoff position when yeah. this all wraps up. Yeah. Well, who, yeah, who else? I love the,
5: the way they run the football, too. Yeah, who do you trust in the NFC besides them and the Wild The Lions? I,
3: well, they're
5: going to the oh. yeah. yeah. the win the division. Yeah, the
3: Lions are going to win the division.
5: No, no. But, yeah, Let me but, ask yeah, you I, this, I, Jeff. You, go ahead. No, I want you to finish your point. You're our guest, Jeff. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, Dallas is the only other team out
3: in that wild card race who I would, I would trust right now. All right, Jeff. I'm M- curious. You always do an MVP watch. Real quick. Will we have an MVP? I don't want to shortchange this. We'll have you on next Monday and talk about this a little more in okay. depth. But will we have an MVP that is not a quarterback this season? Is there a chance of that?
5: There's a chance just because the race is so muddled right now, but what Tua's doing, his numbers, his highlights, it's hard not to pick against him right. I don't know who's gonna catch him right now. I mean you got Pat when Patrick Mahomes is barely hanging on, it's it's a pretty, pretty, pretty He's pretty barely on your deal. list.
4: He's dropping out. <laughs> yeah, barely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, there, I, I mean, it's really good. Like Jeff, you know yeah. you know James you know who James and I are gonna be pushing for? Who's that? Brock Purdy, man. Don't just let Brock one Birdie. bad Brock game Birdie, baby. do not let Brock his one he's, bad game. He had him in position to win. Brock's yeah, going to be there, he's, bro. He's still there. If they kick that field goal, he
5: might be at the top of the list.
4: <laughs> Who, says wins? Who says wins are not a legit quarterback stat? Jeff Gidea, awesome job. Once again, remember, NFL.com slash first read as we're going to continue to slash the rest of the show. And when we come back, After the break on NFL report, the things James and I loved about week six and the things that we absolutely hated Falcons fans. ooh, I'm coming with some smoke.
0: (laughs) You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So, when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill, so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.
4: All right, back to the Annabelle Report, and I'm old enough to have vibe to Frankie Beverly and Mays back in the day, and one of their great hits, JP, was called Joy and Pain. So we're sampling Frankie Beverly, and we're taking the segment Joy and Pain. Okay, so from week six, what did you see that brought you joy?
3: Oh, it was a tweet from my good buddy Jeff Darlington, who (laughs) tweeted out (laughs) the (laughs) Detroit (laughs) Lions fans (laughs) taking over Raymond James Stadium after the game. The joy that any Lions fans have They deserve 100%, Steve, considering everything that they have been through as a fan base. Just to see that video of them just going bonkers after the game, Jared Goff said, do you believe this? These are the best bleeping fans I know. Unreal. Absolutely love it.
4: What brought me joy is the early morning game overseas in London. Lamar Jackson, okay, the week before people are eviscerating him. Oh, yeah. Because his receivers dropped balls all over the place. Well, they caught most of them on Sunday, and when they didn't, he said, I'm just going to take over this game against Tennessee by myself and run the ball. I love the way he played. It looked like old Lamar. And the fact that he was going to will his team to win regardless was something I really enjoyed. All right, Chapter 2, the pain.
3: The pain, JP. The pain is watching where the, where the New England Patriots have, have fallen and become. When you have Mike Gusecki out there against Max Crosby – In a situation where we need to get out of our own end zone and win the game, there's a safety, it's over, they're getting, you know, fake punts, fake field goals against them, just all these things that never used to happen. You would never see those type of situations, those type of mistakes with the New England Patriots over the years, and we are seeing them repeatedly. It is painful to watch what's happening in New England.
4: Oh, there are a lot of people getting joy out of what's happening in New England as well, J.P. (laughs) Look, as someone whose sons are Falcon fans, whose mother is a Falcon fan, that fourth quarter yesterday was, was painful. It was an absolute disaster. First off, head coach oh. Arthur Smith goes for two, right? They, they pulled the 24-16. He goes for two. Kick the field goal and get within a touchdown so you don't have to put pressure on to make a two-point two point conversion later. Next possession, Desmond Ritter throws a pick. What? When they were threatening to go in. Then they fail on a fourth down, and then as they're driving to score again. They can't get in and out of the huddle. They're having to burn timeouts so they don't get Play delayed game. of games. And then they throw another pick. It was a disaster. You talk, We talked all show about teams that had opportunities to win. They had multiple opportunities to win, and they just reinforced the pain. All right, J.P., we're going to come back. This is my uh, Arthur Smith.
3: This, he's, was, he, this was him in the, uh, the
4: whole fourth quarter. He's, you're being centered. You're being centered. You're, you're, you're feeling better right now. non much to good. We'll be back Thursday at the NFL Report. Where we got Baldy. He's coming back to break it down. You better believe Max Crosby and the Condor
3: will be there. Baldy's favorite films.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring...